0: Get
1: 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B
2: Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there, good morning, and welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Glad that you're here. As always, we have a lot to get to. It's January 25th, but we got to take a break here because it's the middle of winter. And did you know that January 25th, well, It's National Irish Whiskey Day, and you deserve it. I mean, it's been a long January. We just thought we would give you the recipe here. Uh, You start with a warm glass. You fill it two thirds full of freshly brewed coffee, stir in a heaping teaspoon of sugar, and add one ounce of Irish whiskey as a final step after the coffee has stopped swirling from the stirring top with some whipped cream that has been very lightly whipped. I got a glass here. You don't know what's in this glass. You might know by the end of the show, but uh, in any case, just wanna wish everyone a happy National Irish Whiskey Day. I'm part Irish, so I feel like it's fitting. Uh, Also in other news over the weekend, we just heard word about the Super Bowl. I am wearing my Kansas City Chiefs red. I am from Kansas City. went there for school in elementary school and part of middle school and high school. And Harris Faulkner, who is with Fox News, is also from Kansas City, spent time there as an anchor. We're both Chiefs fans here. We've been geeking out on our Chiefs uh, gear here, but what do you think? Send me a note on Twitter, who are you rooting for? I think a lot of folks say that, you know, the Chiefs are gonna be playing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They say, you know, Tom Brady just doesn't need another ring, he just doesn't. And Patrick Mahomes, he's such a nice young man, he's got a lot of heart, he just recovered from a concussion. Let's go Chiefs, let's go. Chiefs nations all the way. Uh, What do you think? Send me a note on Twitter. And moving to a more serious topic though, uh, it's something here that I think a lot of you folks are passionate about as well, and it's the topic of media bias. The latest here from President Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr., he notes out, he says, imagine how much easier it is to run as a Democrat when you have a multi-billion dollar mainstream media complex willing to lie and run cover for you at all times. Our media is broken. And over the weekend, Uh, You know, we just saw instance after instance during the inauguration coverage. My colleague, Daniel Payne, has a piece out doing a roundup of sort of the worst of. So you got everyone from CBS's John Dickerson saying this is Joe Biden's day. But actually, it's not Joe Biden's day. It's the country's day. NBC's Chuck Todd, who is from the Meet the Press program, he called Biden the better angel president, a breath of fresh air and a man who gave Americans permission to feel good about who we are. Make no mistake, this this permission to feel good about who we are was exactly former President Trump's message also. He said, this is, uh, you know, we've apologized for being American for so long under administrations like Obama, for example, but Chuck Todd says, no, uh, that didn't really mean anything. And he never said it, trying to gaslight the country basically. Uh, Also New York Times reporter, and to the New York Times credit, there was some discipline here. The New York Times, believe it or not, fired an editor after this editor claimed to have chills while watching Joe Biden's plane land. So Lauren Wolf, she's an editor of the Times live section. She tweeted on Tuesday that she got quote chills watching Biden's plane arrive at Joint Field Andrews the day before he was inaugurated into the office for the presidency. She also slammed the Trump administration for what she called the quote pettiness of not sending a military plane to bring Biden to DC as is tradition. But you know what? She was wrong. Turns out the Biden reportedly chose to take his own plane rather than one from the government. So the New York Times, surprisingly, again, fired her. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually pretty shocking because we've seen far worse tweets from other New York Times people. But she put out a tweet and she said she talked about cancel culture. She said, it's hard to fathom all the talk of cancel culture on my timeline while I'm left without an income during a pandemic. I'm not an ideology. I'm a hardworking person who can no longer pay her bills. Now, look folks, we are not about cancel culture here at Real America's Voice. So to hear what she's saying, talking about cancel culture, it's just another moment of irony and hypocrisy though, because the left is the ones, they're the ones who created cancel culture. So maybe this is a time for us as a country to really decide, is this the kind of culture that we want for our country? Not to mention a culture of media bias. So again, at the White House, we saw an instance, another instance of the hypocrisy of the Biden administration and how the media, uh, with the exception of one reporter who called out the fact that Joe Biden did not wear a mask to his own inauguration celebration. Take a look, we've had some video here from Jen Psaki.
3: As uh, Joe Biden often talks
1: about, uh, it is not just important Uh, example of power, but the power of our example. Was that a good example for people who are watching who might not pay attention
4: uh, normally? Well, Steve, I think uh, the power of his example is also Uh, the message he sends by signing 25 executive orders, including uh, almost half of them related to COVID, Uh, the requirements that we're all under every single day here to ensure we're sending that message to the public. Yesterday was a historic moment in our history. He was inaugurated as president of the United States. He was surrounded by his family. We take a number of precautions, but I don't think, I think we have bigger issues to to worry about at this moment in time.
2: Bigger issues to worry about. You know, it's just so funny because I'm not that old to forget how the media made such a fuss after former President Trump, President at the time, for not wearing a mask and really attacking his administration. And this is a tweet that uh, Lisa Daftari pointed out. She's a foreign policy commentator, but she says, when Trump doesn't wear a mask, it's the end of the world. When Biden doesn't wear a mask, they have, quote, bigger issues to worry about. That's right, little folks, don't worry about this. Don't worry about the hypocrisy of the national media attacking a Republican president but not attacking a Democrat president. The other example here I gotta highlight for you is the issue of fracking. Now, the Washington Post put out one of their quote-unquote fact-checkers saying that the Trump campaign promotes a false claim that Biden would end fracking. Now, let's flash forward. Turns out, through the stroke of a pen on his very First day in office, President Biden, guess what? He moved to ban fracking. He moved to ban fracking and yes, it was just the first step toward banning it point blank. What he did was he banned it only on federal land. So land that's owned by the federal government is no longer going to be allowed to have fracking on it. This was something that was allowed under the Trump administration. And this was a jaw dropping moment during the debate stage in the fall between Trump and Biden, this issue of fracking. And the Washington Post at the time said it was a lie that Biden wanted to ban fracking. Guess what? I haven't seen any correction from the Washington Post. We haven't seen anyone fact checking the fact checkers. So we just did it here on this program to say, look, you guys got got to issue a retraction here or some sort of update to say this move to ban fracking is very real. We had a guest on our show last week who said this has already affected 80,000 jobs. This in the Keystone pipeline as well. All right, that does it on the media front. We're going to come back after a quick break and talk about the filibuster. What does it mean for Republicans? What does it mean for the future of our country? Stay tuned. we got someone from the Heritage Foundation coming up. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning
0: Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk
1: about starting the morning right
0: just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to
2: experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What is the filibuster? Why should we care about it? And what's the latest with it?
1: Well, the the word filibuster, which kind of has a negative connotation, that's like one side of the coin. But the other side, the positive side, Uh, I'll just refer to as extended debate, and that is simply the way the Senate was designed to do its legislative business, uh, it's different than the House, um, emphasizes the ability to keep debate going, to more thoroughly uh, debate and deliberate on issues, and so it takes a supermajority, that is more than a majority, to, to end debate, even though it takes a simple majority to pass a bill. That's been really the the most distinctive feature of the Senate's legislative process for more than two hundred years. It literally is the, probably the single feature that's most commonly associated with the Senate. Both parties have used it to their advantage. It's an incentive, to to get the majority to uh, seek more consensus. And this uh, is to, this
2: is to be clear, it's it's sixty votes. So people in the Senate they would need to get sixty votes in order to move that's anything the forward. Current, and this is right. This that's is, the current um, rule. That's the current rule. And so this is not in the Constitution, right? This is this isn't something in the founding documents as far as it being sixty. How it, does that? How did not, they get that number?
1: It's not in the Constitution itself. The Constitution does give the Senate, however, authority to set its own rules of procedure. Uh, and so since uh, almost the turn of the nineteenth century. Um, any legislature has to bring debate to a close before they can vote on something. And uh, the, the current rule, which is a Rule 22 in, on the list of the Senate's rules, uh, was established in 1917. It's been tweaked a little bit here and there as to how uh, what it covers. And since 1975, it's been 60 votes. Look, it's, people have heard the phrase checks and balances. It's, it's, a, it's a check. It's a limitation on too much power getting concentrated in too few places. And the ability of senators to keep debate going in the Senate uh, and, and to have extended deliberation where the House just you know flash, everything passes by simple majority, that's a check and a balance and it's an important part of the process.
2: And the big question is, do you think Joe Biden will push for this? Harry Reid was quoted by the New York Times over the weekend. Harry Reid was the former Democratic leader in the Senate. He says he doesn't think from what he knows about Joe Biden, Joe Biden will not be pushing for this. But the big question is, would Joe Biden be able to withstand the tug? I mean, he's getting pulled very far left.
1: Well, what I do know is that Republicans considered doing away with the filibuster in 2005. There was a different controversy, but the same issue. And Biden was a senator then, and he said that getting rid of the filibuster would, and I'm quoting Biden now, would eviscerate the Senate and turn it into the House of Representatives. It's not only a bad idea, it upsets the constitutional design and it disserves the country. That's what Senator Joe Biden said in 2005 about getting rid of the filibuster. I I realize, you know, uh, people's political views kind of slosh back and forth depending on which party runs the show. But, uh, you know, he was the senator then and he knew by experience how important the filibuster and extended debate are uh, to to the the contribution that the Senate makes to the overall legislative process. I, I sure hope You know, after maybe 40 days as president, he doesn't forget 40 years in the Senate and uh, uh, suddenly turn his back on a very important part of the legislative process.
2: And so the rules themselves, you said rule number 22, this is something that the Senate adopts themselves. Is this correct? And, And I guess the big question is, If Democrats were trying to push to erode and destroy the filibuster, they would have to be completely unified, correct? Because haven't we heard that some senators, Democrats say they don't want this? For example, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, a very Republican state.
1: It is part of the Senate rules. The thing is though, under the rules, it takes 67 votes to change the rules. That's the way the rules are written. So, in, in, you know, there's no way that they would get 17 Republicans to go along with them. So in, in order to even pretend to get this done, they would have to pull what's called the nuclear option. It's a parliamentary gimmick that attempts to leave the rules in place for what they say, but pretend that they mean something else. Uh, it, it, and it would be a very destructive way to sort of manipulate how the Senate runs. So that's what the Democrats would have to do in order to get this done. Uh, It's a very divisive thing, and with a 50-50 Senate, I I sure hope they don't try.
2: Well, it's interesting because Thomas Massey, he's put out a tweet, he says, if unity is the objective, getting rid of the 60-vote filibuster rule in the Senate is not conducive to that end. Do you agree with that? Do you think getting rid of the filibuster would be divisive?
1: Well, especially when it's a 50-50 Senate, if the rules require the 67 votes to change how the Senate operates, that means that there really does need to be very broad consensus about how the institution runs. Uh, And, you know, when it's split down the middle, trying to do something this revolutionary, remember, this would change 200 years of Senate practice. Uh, I can't think of anything that would be more divisive.
2: Well, Chuck Schumer said that he wanted to change America uh, right after, you know, that was his intention, he said, during the campaign for the Georgia Senate seats. What about Congresswoman Barbara Lee? She says the filibuster is a Jim Crow relic that must be abolished. Why is she making this about race?
1: Well, there, there are some political forces. You mentioned the, the 1619 Project who, who try to make everything about race. Maybe they think that that distracts people from the merits of an argument. The fact is both parties have used the filibuster and extended debate for over 200 years. It's not exclusive to one party or one ideology. It's it's important for the Senate.
2: All right, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. Tom with the Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk more about this impeachment trial. Stay tuned.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery
2: Hey there, welcome back here to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield here, just enjoying my National Irish Coffee Day, and I hope that you are as well. Well, we're, we're talking about what's happening with this impeachment trial. So the House is sending over the article of impeachment over to the Senate, but the Senate has pushed back the date. This was a request from Mitch McConnell. He said, let's give more time for President Trump's legal team to get together their responses. I mean, this impeachment was rapid fire. It happened, as some say, in a drive-by fashion that... The president had no chance to get witnesses, no chance to respond to this impeachment in the House. And so he's getting some extra time here. But let's take a listen here from Senator Chuck Schumer, who's the Democrat leader in the Senate.
5: It makes no sense whatsoever that a president or any official could commit a heinous crime against our country and then be permitted to resign so as to avoid accountability and a vote to disbar them from future office. Makes no sense. Regardless, the purveyors of this unusual argument are trying to delay the inevitable. The fact is, the House will deliver the article of impeachment to the Senate. The Senate will conduct a trial of the impeachment of Donald Trump. It will be a full trial. It will be a fair trial. But make no mistake, there will be a trial, and when that trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John, Donald John Trump incited the erection, insurrection, against the United States.
2: And that is Chuck Schumer doing a little verbal slip there. But the issue here is whether this is legal or not. Can you even convict someone after they leave office? Senator Marco Rubio says, first of all, this whole concept, this whole impeachment trial after Trump has already left office, he says it's stupid. He says it's stupid. And a lot of constitutional experts like Alan Dershowitz, for example, says that it's actually not even constitutional, that it's not even legal, that it's not something that is under the Constitution allowed. However, there are some other lawyers, including with the conservative Federalist Society, who say that, yes, Trump could be convicted under the Constitution, they say that it is legal, here to break this down is a expert here from Heritage Foundation. Joining me again is Tom Jipping. He is with the Legal Center there at Heritage. Tom, what's your verdict? Is it legal? Can Trump be convicted and, in this case, be barred from running for office in the future?
1: Well, let's clarify first what Senator Schumer said. He said it doesn't make sense uh, to, to let someone resign and then prevent a trial. Obviously, President Trump did not resign. His term came to an end. So. Uh, the example Schumer gave just doesn't apply. The, the main impeachment provision of the Constitution, Article 2, Section 4, says that the President, Vice President, and other civil officers shall be removed from office following impeachment and conviction. The, the, the plain language of the Constitution makes clear that the purpose of impeachment and conviction is removal from office. Someone who is no longer in office cannot be removed from office. So that's what doesn't make any sense, trying to use a process that explicitly is designed to remove a public official against someone who is no longer a public official. I realize Chuck Schumer wants to get at uh, Donald Trump any way he can. Uh, And, and, you know, the Democrats want especially to be able to vote to disqualify Trump from future office, but you have to convict him first, and the only thing you can convict him for is misconduct in office, and he's not in office. American impeachment is much narrower than English impeachment, which a lot of our constitutional um, uh, principles and processes comes from and its only purpose is to remove a public official who has committed misconduct. Donald Trump is no longer a public official.
2: Well, and it begs the question, as some Republicans have pointed out, if we're gonna go about the business of impeaching former presidents, when the Republicans held the House after President Trump won in 2016, they could have gone back and tried to impeach Barack Obama for things he did, like targeting conservatives, using the IRS to go after conservatives things like the Fast and Furious, things like using the FBI to surveil your enemy's political campaign from a rival political party. The list goes on and on of things that Republicans could argue we should have impeached President, former President Barack Obama at the time, yet they chose not to. So the big question is, where does this end? Is this just a political ploy?
1: Not only did they choose not to, no one even suggested it no one even thought that that was a uh, an imaginary possibility and of course it's it's worth asking for this this unusual idea that you can impeach someone who's not in office Uh, What's the limiting principle? What what are the boundaries of that? Because according to Chuck Schumer's logic, if you want to disqualify someone from future office, you can impeach and try them and convict them for anything they did in the past, whether they're a public official or not. You know, in 2010, the, the House impeached a federal judge. He was in prison, but he didn't resign. The Senate impeachment trial already started. And then he resigned, and you know what the House did? They unanimously passed a resolution saying we should terminate these proceedings because he's no longer in office. And guess who was Speaker of the House at the time? Nancy Pelosi. So the House is on record just 11 uh, years ago saying that when a public official is no longer in office, the impeachment process has to stop. Why wouldn't that apply in this situation?
2: Well, and word on the street also is that a lot of Senate Republicans are upset that this is even happening. They say they're getting a lot of pressure to make sure that they push back on this. Senator Lindsey Graham is saying the president was impeached in the House from start to finish in less than 60 hours without one witness being called and without a lawyer. This will not happen in the Senate. I believe post-presidential impeachments are blatantly unconstitutional. So just looking at the math here, because you need 67 votes to remove or convict uh, a president. He's already, as you said, he's not even in office anymore. So it's not about removal. It's about conviction. So 67 votes to convict. But it just seems the math isn't there.
1: No, it's that's not going to happen. And Senator Graham's letter... Uh, made the two points. One's the constitutional point and the other is perhaps more of a political point. The thing is, that was a drive-by impeachment in the House. Uh, Unlike the first impeachment, which we all watched play out on television, there were no hearings, there was no testimony, there was no discussion of what an impeachable offense is or anything like that. That's been done with every impeachment in the past. Not this one. Why? Because they were under the gun. They wanted to get it done in record time. Well, they did But that doesn't make a a Senate trial, even if it is constitutional, any more legitimate. I hope that Republicans who oppose this really do take the Senate floor, explain clearly why uh, this is not an appropriate use of the impeachment process uh, so that the American people really understand what's what's, going to happen.
2: And what's your take? Because I, I, talk, I talked to someone who was on the Trump campaign, and he said that the, uh, he thinks that Trump having a trial would actually give him a chance to present some evidence about election fraud, because we're not even talking about that at this point. And that was the, the whole big argument that he was making.
1: No, uh, the, the impeachment was on a single uh, article. Uh, That article has to do with whether there was incitement to insurrection. It's a very narrow, very specific allegation, unlike the previous impeachment, which had very broad, undefined uh, allegations in it. Uh, And a Senate impeachment trial would stay focused on that article of impeachment. There would not be an opportunity to sort of treat it as a hearing and go into all those other issues.
2: All right, Tom Jipping from the Heritage Foundation, thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome.
2: And stay with us. We have more with Dave Bratt, the former congressman. Very outspoken. I'm sure he'll have a lot to say about all of this. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
2: Hey there, good morning and welcome back to Just the Museum. I'm Carrie Sheffield and glad that you're with us. So joining me is Dave Bratt. He's a former congressman and dean at the Liberty University School of Business. Good morning, Dave.
4: Hey, good morning, Carrie. Great to be on.
2: So let's talk about what we have on tap with executive orders with President Biden. So he's got a whole raft. I mean, he issued a bunch last week. He's got more on tap. One is aimed at what he's calling the Made in America initiative, having a Made in America uh, day to tighten the requirements for government agencies that they have to procure the goods and services from U.S. companies and workers. Tuesday is going to be what they're calling the Equity Tuesday, that they're trying to improve prison conditions and nix the the use of private prisons. Wednesday is going to be Climate Day, which is a very broad... Uh, Expansive word that you can lump a lot into. Healthcare Thursday is slated to include a move to rescind the so called Mexico City policy. That is where US dollars are not allowed to go to foreign countries to support abortion. And it looks like Biden is going to. Sp- Rescind this. This is something that President Trump put in place to make sure that American taxpayers are not paying for abortion in foreign countries. And then Friday immigration. So lots of issues. Let's talk about this first. This. What do you think about this Made in America initiative? Do you support this to say government agencies should be be ordered to have uh, you know purchase stuff that's made in America?
4: No, I think he's trying to be you know Pittsburgh Joe again here. It's kind of like the inauguration speech. Uh, I, I would have thought. Uh, you know, he was a a reverend. He invoked God uh, every other minute and the troops and the uh, St. Augustine he invoked over and over and over. And they've got to do that because the Democrat platform has gotten rid of all God language. And so similarly, it looks like Monday is an attempt to be America first. uh, And then the rest of the week is uh, let's make sure America's last uh, competitively, et cetera. And so it's pure symbolism. There, there'll be no teeth in that Monday piece on the America first, making sure uh, American firms are treated well. And the Democrat party, I mean, just, just to see that uh, this, the symbolism uh, won't help at all. The Democrat party wants all big businesses and all the elites and all the mon- monopolies to thrive so they can control one entity. The last thing they want is a thousand independent businesses in some sector. And they're doing their best to steamroll them as, as the rest of the week you're going to lay out, I'm sure, will show.
2: Let's talk about the, uh, the the Mexico City policy here, because this Biden wants to have U.S. taxpayer money going to groups that provide abortion in foreign countries. How is he getting around the U.S. Hyde Amendment? Because is, is this because it's happening on foreign soil? Because the Hyde Amendment is to say you can't use taxpayer money to pay for abortions here in America. Is, is that really how he's getting around it?
4: Yeah, well, well, we'll see. I mean, the uh, the Senate is going to be the wall, and, and people like Senator Manchin, the, you know, the 50th vote is going to be absolute crucial in these decisions. So what uh, they, they've shown, they don't have much regard for the Constitution or the rule of law. Uh, they've had riots and uh, lawbreaking for the past four years. The CIA and the FBI are both corrupt and went after uh, President Trump before he even took office. And all that's been shown. And so, yeah, when it comes to the rule of law, I mean, it, it's uh, don't trust and verify right now. You should be you should not trust at all. They've shown their hand. And so they're probably going to do some legal work around. And uh, you're right. That's probably the, the camel's nose.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, especially this week, it's it's the right to life. This is when people are joining to celebrate yeah. life. Let's talk about another issue, and that's Buttigieg, who is going to be the transportation secretary. Reportedly, he wants to tax how many miles that you drive. This is something that he says, I think all options need to be on the table. As you know, the federal gas tax has not been increased since 1993 and has never been pegged to inflation. And it's one of the reasons why the current state of highway trust fund is that there's going to be more coming out than coming in. So he says he likes the idea of taxing the number of miles that you drive. Big question here. Doesn't this hurt the poor the most, people who are everyday Americans compared to the wealthy? Because if, if you are, you know are spending a X percentage of your, of your budget on transportation and gas and driving,
4: right. aren't
2: you going to be hurt the most?
4: Yeah, no, that's right. It's regressive. It takes a much bigger proportion of the poor's income to drive. If you, I, it's incredible to go after driving right now, right? If you go look at the Google cams on Fifth Avenue in New York City, there's no cars out, much less anywhere else. Uh, And so it seems to me we need to encourage uh, small business activity right now, not discourage it. They're going to put a a minimum wage of $15 on all restaurant workers across the Midwest or whatever, where that that, uh, wage rate's going to be too high. It's going to put more restaurants and small businesses out of business. And then you're going to tax gasoline that's going to hurt small business. So only the big survive. That's the plan. They're, they're, they've centralized healthcare, socialized healthcare already. Uh, they own higher ed, they own K to 12, they have big tech. And just the, the folks may not know big tech firms, their market capitalization of the six biggest firms in the US is greater than all of the stock markets combined in Europe. And that's not a misstatement. Our six firms are bigger than all of Europe's business altogether. And of course they're all lefties that supported the Biden election, uh, with Zuckerberg, et cetera, putting in, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in, into the election booths and all that kind of thing. And so uh, the Democrats like that, They're virtue signaling back and forth. To, if you help me, I'll help you. None of it's on paper. Uh, but that's what, that's what, uh, the, I, I hate to say it, but uh, going back in history, take a look at your fascist regimes and they never forced or owned big firms. They just kn- knew that if you rewarded them, they'd be on your side. And that's what we see going on right here.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's almost, a, especially this this tax would affect people from rural areas where you have to drive more. It's it's They want to keep us locked in our houses and quiet and bound and gagged. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dave Rat, for joining us. Appreciate it. You back. Thanks, Carrie. You back. We'll be right back with the publisher of Forbes. Stay tuned.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe.
2: Hey there, good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and I'm glad that you're here with us. Joining me is Rich Carlgaard. He's the publisher of Forbes Magazine and he's the author of Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. He's also got Late Bloomers, The Hidden Strengths of Learning and Succeeding at Your Own Pace. Good morning, Rich.
3: Good morning, Carrie, good to see you.
2: Good to see you. I wanted to have you on the show to talk about these books because The education sector is so disrupted right now with COVID. Families are having to deal with all these changes. And your books really look at how all kids are not created the same, they learn differently. Imagine that, we're 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 unique people, we have our own ways to absorb the world and process the world. And your book is really giving encouragement to say, it's okay, you don't have to follow this cookie cutter pathway. You don't have to take, for example, the, the public school, You know, just the way we grind people in instead of making them critical thinkers, instead of making making them virtuous citizens, instead of having instilling in them a sense of patriotism and and loyalty and love of their country. We're just we're just cranking them out and, and basically having them. K through 12, in many respects, turn against traditional values. But your books really look at how people learn differently and they bloom later. So wh- what about these books and what-, what can we learn about it right now as the education you know, sector is basically imploding right now? Yeah,
3: they're the, se- they're the same book, by the way. The second book you showed has a different subtitle. It's the paperback, which just came out last week. Um, no, it, w- where I live, I live about uh, five miles from Stanford University in, in, in Silicon Valley. And it's become this really crushing grinder for kids um, that is causing uh, mental health problems and and suicides and things like that because kids who are B plus students feel like they're inferior. Uh, There's this hyper meritocracy that's based on such a narrow set of attributes. As you pointed out, I mean God created us with all these kinds of gifts, and not all of them, uh, not all of us were born to take the SAT, and get perfect scores on the SAT. Now, COVID has come along, and I think you're seeing that people's uh, frustration with the public school system is now uh, gone into hyperdrive, and uh, uh, people who are parents who are opting to school the kids at home has gone from 5% of the population to 10%, and I expect it to go up even more. People understand that their kids are gifts, and they are differently gifted. You know, the the ability to sit down and take a test shouldn't be the only definition of, uh, of of the of the trajectory for the rest of your life.
2: So, what do you do in the book? What what practical advice can people take away from what you're teaching in the book?
3: Well, parents should love their children, and they should not uh, they should not let their children off the hook, but they should love their children first and foremost unconditionally, and then figure out really listen to their children and figure out what they might be good at and begin to create opportunities for those kids in those areas where they have gifts that the school system might not recognize.
2: And so what about the, you you mentioned this is a time where parents can think differently, like what specifically do you think parents can do differently?
3: Well, right now, I think that this uh, movement toward homeschooling, uh, homeschooling has always been seen as kind of a fringe movement in the United States. It's beginning to go mainstream, and it's just taking different forms. It could be the parents in the neighborhood are pooling up their resources and all acting as teacher for, teachers for a group of kids. But I think we're going to find a lot of challenges to the public school system going forward. Yeah,
2: yeah. uh, certainly I I think I, I just had on this program Dennis Prager last week and he said he encourages people to take their kids out. He said if you want your kids to grow up and have contempt for you and your values then by all means keep them in the public school system otherwise Take them out and get an alternative, and uh, you know, they can think more creatively. Rich, just while we have you, you're out there, as you mentioned, in Silicon Valley. You're there with all the, the tech gurus. What's the sense there? Why is there this brain drain? People are going to places like Austin, Texas. What's your read on what's happening?
3: Well, the mainstream press talks about the price differential, the cost of average cost of a 2,500-square-foot, you know, quarter-acre property, home in Palo Alto is about $4 million, so you can imagine how that puts the the cost of home ownership out of reach for a lot of people. That's what gets the headline news. I think a lot of it has to do with values, and particularly around schools. If you really do the work of probing why families are moving out of California to places like Austin, Denver, um, Salt Lake City, uh, you know, all kinds of other places, it's not just cost, it is values.
2: And what about California? Because you're out there. We were talking a little bit about the shutdown and and this recall. Do you think it'll be successful? The move to recall the governor of California, Governor Newsom.
3: I think I think he will be recalled. Now, whether he'll be defeated in an election is another thing. Um, but I think what's really encouraging is that I'm seeing the roots of a kind of libertarian rebellion out here in California, likes of which we haven't seen since 1978 in Proposition 13, that it's not just conservatives who are really upset with the governor's uh, leadership of the state, it's now centrists, it's now even center-left people who see these arbitrary rules, you know, you can keep this open and then not keep this open, that makes no sense at all, combined with the utter hypocrisy of of Gavin Newsom, you know, dining out uh, while telling other people to shelter at home. Or uh, members of the state legislature taking a taxpayer-funded trip to Hawaii <laughs> to talk about, you know, what, where we need to shut down the economy. as happened last summer.
2: Well, we'll keep an eye on this, and uh, we've we've heard that the mayor of the former mayor of San Diego, a Republican, he wants to challenge. He wants to take this this governor on and say, "Hey, people are really mad and frustrated." We're going to keep an eye out on that. Thank you so much, Rich Carlgaard for joining us.
3: Yeah, there are cities in open rebellion right now, like Carlsbad, which is north of San Diego. they are open rebellion against the governor. I mean, he doesn't have enough National
2: Guard. All right, Uh, Rich, uh, you're going to have to come back again soon. We appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thanks so much, Carrie.
2: All right, we'll be right back.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: Hey there, good morning, welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield, and glad that you've been here with us for the ride. I'm gonna close the show looking at a moment of pure irony. This is the woman who made the mittens for the viral moment there with Senator Bernie Sanders. You can see him sitting there in the chair with his arms crossed. This has been everywhere. Uh, Some conservatives were upset because they said it's basically making this warm and fuzzy socialism, making it cute and cuddly and with the uh, mittens there and socialism is anything but fuzzy and cute and cuddly. But the irony here is that the woman who made these Bernie Sanders mittens, she says high taxes killed her mitten business. How ironic is this? So her name is Jen Alice, and she says that people have been contacting me thinking that they can get mittens and actually they can't. I don't have any more and I don't have much of a mitten business anymore because it really wasn't worth it, she said. Independent crafters get really taken for a ride by the federal government. We get taxed to the nth degree and it wasn't really worth it pursuing that as a business, even as a side hustle, she continued. So even though Sanders has said he would raise middle-class taxes to fund his health care program, Ellis said she still supports him. She still supports Senator, even the, uh, Senator Sanders, even though he lost in the Democrat primaries. She said, I thought I'd like to make him a pair of mittens, and I did. I totally remember the night I did. I was thinking to myself, is this crazy? I don't even know this guy, she explained. So, uh, you know, this is one of these uh, political moments where She herself has been hurt by the policies that Bernie Sanders endorses, uh, yet she's still there for her. uh, Jen Ellis, Uh, maybe take an economics course. All right. That does it for us here. Just the news. Stay tuned for War Room next.